if one one person ended their life you you know there's just hundreds of people who were impacted you know and who knew that person who was aware of that person Angela Samata goes around educating people on suicides and has been featured on BBC TEDx and more and on this podcast we discuss how to prevent suicides so many of us are feeling under pressure you know a lot of us are feeling disconnected a lot of us are feeling isolated imagine feeling like you don't want to be here anymore and having to discuss that with somebody i mean it's the hardest conversation she also discussed her personal experience with suicide my partner and the father of my two boys um unfortunately ended his own life at that time was how did he take it Hello Angela, welcome to the podcast. It's amazing to meet you. So you have a story that's unfortunately not that unique. It seems to happen quite a lot now. Mm -hmm. Um, But we want to go into the whole story. So could you start right at the beginning of the story? Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me. And uh, thank you so much for providing good snacks. snacks, (laughs) Always. Good snacks are very important. Uh, I see you got my rider to have uh, chocolate on the premises before we start. So thank you so much for the the good snacks. Um, Yeah, well, you know, I think for me, um, my experience, um, I realised that my experience wasn't unique. And so I decided and made a a very conscious decision that I would talk openly and honestly about what happened to me and my family and our friends and I would talk about it because for me it was about um you know it, it sounds almost flippant but I genuinely mean it that if by talking about my experience it helps one person then I'm happy to talk about my experience so so yeah, so first of all, that was the reason why I just decided to share it. And uh, what actually happened was that um, my partner and the father of my two boys um, unfortunately ended his own life in 2003. So it's actually almost 20 years ago to to the day. Yeah. Can we go into the story of, of who your husband was? So yeah. where did you meet him? Who was he? So we met at school. Can I be really cheeky and ask you guys how old you are? Can I? Can I, I am I allowed to ask that? Am I allowed to ask the question? I don't know if you can answer. Okay, go on. Tell, tell me how old you well, are. I'm, I'm 18. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I won't give an answer. <laughs> wow, you're, you're being mysterious. Okay. It's just really helpful because, you know, um, a lot was happening for me when I was 18. So yeah. I think it helps to start my story there. So when I was 18... Um, I, uh, very unexpectedly just had my first child. So 18 years old. I was, uh, 18. Yeah, I was 18. Really? And so, th- um, my partner who died, he was actually the father of both of my children. So we had our first child when we were 18 and, and it was something that we obviously didn't plan. <laughs> well, not obviously, but we genuinely, we, did, we definitely didn't plan it. Yeah. So our lives together started um, because we met at school. So we met when um, I was in the sixth form and he was in fifth year, so which is the year just below me. 
and so we met so it was kind of a bit of a scandal because I was older than him and I was in like the sixth form and I got to wear my own clothes and and he was just doing his then O levels GCSEs now so we met in a really unconventional way and um and it kind of started from there really and we had um a long relationship and when unfortunately um several several years later we had our um 20 uh, well our eldest boy was 13 and our youngest boy was three um and i was 29 at that point so a little bit older than you guys and um, the oldest boy was the youngest boy was 13 so my eldest boy, so the baby that I had when I was when I was at school, yeah, uh, he was thirteen, and my then baby, a new baby, yeah. uh, was three, and um, and that was when um, Mark unfortunately ended his own life. Do you? Know, I don't know if it feels quite sensitive to say, but do you know why he? Um, you know, I think now because I've I've worked in this area and and hopefully successfully worked with a lot of people in this area um for me it's a real case of I wish I knew then what I know now because I've had a two decade long learning curve so the whys uh, uh, are always difficult questions and I think what I've learned over the years is that there is never one reason it's always a complex picture of um why somebody might feel that they at that point in their lives that their best option is kind of not to be here anymore so for me I have really come to very much understand that concept of it it it's very rarely one reason you know sometimes people outside the situation might think well that's that's obviously why that person has ended their own life but actually I have never met a person for whom it's been that simple it's always complex. Yeah, that's a very good understanding to have. Mm. And he said uh, he he had he was in the place that he felt like that was the best thing to do. Yeah. But he probably very likely felt that was the only thing he could do. Exactly. And that's even more scary to think that he's pushed into someone has pushed into that place. Mm-hmm. They feel that's the only thing that they could do. That's mm-hmm. the, that that could continue, mm-hmm. not continue, but that that they, that when they go forward, that's what happens. Yeah. It's very scary to think that you're in that position. Mm-hmm. Or push you. And I, th- I think it's, um, you know, for me, it's about understanding that. And really, um, that's where, I suppose, people like me, talking about my lived experience, hopefully as part of the conversation around suicide prevention. You know, how do we actually how do we work with people so that how do we support people how do we open up conversations like this like we're having today how do we do that in a way that is safe and um people feel as if they can talk about um not feeling okay and can actually access the help and support that they need to to not think that suicide is their only option at that point so it's a it's um it's never clear cut, and I don't think in in his case it was clear cut either. Do you ever re- rethink experience the whole time? What the memories and think maybe miss something or? Um, 
I think we all do. Yeah. I think anybody who, I mean, I don't know whether you guys have ever experienced losing a friend or a family member to suicide. Have you, have you ever experienced it in your friendship group? or your not, um, not, just... not someone directly close to me, but mm. someone, you know, that lives close by and stuff. And yeah. It, yeah, gets to you. Yeah. yeah. And I think, again, that even somebody who lives close by or somebody who's really famous, you know, if they end their own lives and you hear about it, it might be somebody who you admire or somebody that you've seen in lots of films that you you kind of feel a connection to. It might not be a connection that it's a personal connection, but you can still feel a connection. And so if that person then goes on to end their life, I think that we mustn't underestimate the impact of that. You know, you just said it was somebody who Yeah, it was say some, yeah. someone in close to us. Uh, yeah. some, someone close to us. Yeah. He didn't he didn't commit suicide, but he mm. died through an illness or uh, there was yeah. nothing like people putting hundreds of thousands of pounds to save him and you couldn't, yeah. nothing you could do. And yeah. you do read literally think every single Absolutely. small, all the small parts. Yeah. And I think, to my mind, that's a normal reaction no, to a, me, yeah. a situation that is is upsetting. And um, so I think mm. what you guys mentioned there is, for me, is a completely normal reaction to a very. Yeah, just thinking about situation. it, I'm thinking, right, just thinking about it for, ever since I've been thinking about like several, several of the times, like the good times, of course. Yeah, of course. Or, uh, or the most emotional, really. You think about it all over again and again and again. Mm-hmm. At that time when uh, when it did happen, how did you react then? Because you, right now you mm-hmm. sound very sensitive. It so- sounds like not that it hasn't affected you, but you're taking yeah. it in a very, in a very measured way. Yeah. At that time, was how did you take it? Uh, for me, again, I think anybody listening to this who has has been bereaved by the suicide of somebody very close to them, um, for me, I um, just put my kids first. Like, it was quite simple. You know, it was quite simple, really. I had a three-year-old and a 13-year-old, and they just lost their father. So, for me, it was very much, definitely for the first kind of nine months, I'd say, after Mark died, um, it was about putting the boys first and making sure that they were okay. And I think uh, that was probably the normal way that people react. It probably wasn't the most healthy. Why not? Uh, just because um, I kind of wasn't really looking after myself, I don't think. I think I was just trying to make sure everything was okay for the boys and I wasn't kind of registering that I had just experienced this loss as well um, because I was just trying to make sure that they were okay, that everything was right for them, that they kind of could go back to school, that, that you know they, they were being supported. And I think sometimes as parents, um, that's what we do we prioritize our children and we we kind of think oh we'll we'll deal with our own stuff kind of later on and and in my case that was that was very much what happened Um, what happened after the nine months finished uh i went to my first support group and um and i uh yep i went to a bereavement support group and it was kind of I drove around the block. I, I think I said it in my TED talk um, that I drove around the block, like desperately trying not to find a parking space because, like, I definitely did not want to walk in there because it because it meant it was real and it meant that like I had to start facing things and I had to start talking about things, you know. Um, but actually, it was exactly the right place. It was exactly where I needed to be. On the week and the day that yeah. it happened, I didn't catch a name for your husband, but Mark. On, his Mark, name was Mark. Yeah. Um, that week and that day, yeah. What 
looking back, what was different about him? Was everything the same? Yeah. Was he living life normally? Or was yeah. were there telltale signs? I mean, I think when I look back now, so we know, like research tells us in my experience of talking to lots of people who've experienced suicidal thoughts and feelings and people being very honest with me. Uh, I now know that, first of all, it's a complex picture. Secondly, sometimes there can be really small changes in people's behaviour. And also I now know that if um, it can be if um, somebody is losing a relationship that they really cherish or that there's been going to be a big change in that relationship, that that can um, really lead someone to experience suicidal thoughts. Um, I also now know that suicide is the biggest killer of men under the age of 49. Um, so that's really which scary is to say. terrifying yeah. and and so being male and he was 32 and we were in the middle of um, starting to think about not living together for a little while and um, all of the conversations that that brings with it yeah. um, and so when you start thinking about those factors that were going on in our lives and his his the fact he was male and he was under 49 you know now I understand that that actually would have put him at elevated risk of feeling suicidal. At the time, I didn't have a clue about any of that. So we were trying to be very sensible about not, you know, the fact that we might not live together anymore, trying to be very grown up about it, trying to think about where he could live very close to us so that he could still see the boys and the boys would still have bedrooms there and you know all of that in a very sensitive you know sensible way as we thought um but actually I don't know how much that con contributed to how he felt or whether there was something else going on in his life that I actually I didn't know anything about did he leave a note well notes are interesting actually because again because it's I've not had, actually that common, is it? So, well, it isn't. It, it genuinely yeah. isn't. I think academically we think that only um, about 20% of people who end their own lives leave notes. And also those notes can look really different now. I don't know. How do you, how do you guys communicate with your friends? How do you communicate? Text, call. Text, call. Mm. Do you use Discord? Do you use think we're much younger than we are. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like lots of lo well, lots of people might um, do Discord. So, <laughs> okay, um, well, but yeah. WhatsApp, text, you know, yeah, any, anything live, like live, that, yeah. like you know, yes. whatever. I live on the WhatsApp or LinkedIn, yeah. Yeah, but again, I think when we talk about suicide notes or final messages, um, we think that they always look like these beautiful handwritten documents, or yeah. you know, these actually sometimes notes are text messages emails voice notes whatsapp messages you know so again it's really challenges are thinking about what that stereotypical person might look like who sits there and writes this very long elaborate note that you know gives all the answers and and um very very rarely is that the that, actual case I think that's the right answer to say because a lot like within each suicide everything's completely different it is yeah so like you is. say you to tell the the signs of when yeah. someone's feeling suicidal yeah. only one person can tell yeah and you can change it oh is that the change in behavior or what's is everything drastic yeah. but like you said even you it's don't tricky. know you don't you really don't know it's tricky it's really really tricky but there are some things that we know put people at elevated risk do you, do you wish you would have written a note just to give you some clarity and closure on um notes are funny you know because I know that 
you know, I, I searched our house for four years looking for a note. And for even, four years? For four years, oh, yeah. Wow. Because I um, stayed in our house for four years with the boys after Mark died. And then even on the day that I moved out of that house, I, was, I know that I was still looking because I was still waiting. There must, have been a, there must have been something that he left that was just a sign, you know, an explanation or whatever. Um, and there wasn't one. And now I know that for most people that's the case. So it's um, interesting that you ask that because I think that lots of us, one, one of the things that makes being bereaved by suicide unique is that you are constantly searching for answers because if somebody is really poorly or has a, an illness, then although it's extremely sad, you can still kind of reconcile that in your head that somebody was really ill and the treatment didn't work or whatever and unfortunately they passed away but in the case of suicide I think it brings with it lots and lots of questions about why very little answers and very little answers so um so it can be I I think that's why it is um a bereavement that I feel is is kind of unique in those in those terms I mean, you mentioned on your TED talk about yeah. the day it happened, yeah, and that you had a phone call with him. Do you want to? Could could you explain how the day planned out mm. and what he said? What the mm-hmm. last words he said to you were? Yeah, he, I, you know, I, um, I count myself actually quite lucky that I was the last person to speak to him because I know what that last phone call was and I know what it wasn't. Okay, so, um, I have a very clear view you know, a memory of that phone call. And, and it was because um, he hadn't gone to work that day, which was really unusual. And his boss had phoned me and said, Where, where's Mark? Why hasn't he come to work? And um, so I was kind of quite annoyed, <laughs> if I'm really honest, because I was like, we definitely cannot afford to to be skipping work right now. <laughs> you know, we're in the middle of like a really tricky time and I'd been to work and, you know, and um, so when I actually spoke to him, I was picking the boys up to bring them home. And and so our last phone call with each other was um, was just a normal phone call in, in many ways that lots of parents have when they're slightly vexed with each other. <laughs> and um, the last thing he said to me, which again I... I highlighted in the TED talk was um, that he loved me and that he was sorry and I thought he was obviously apologising for not going to work um, when actually I got home 15 minutes later to find that he'd um, entered his life and, and that's probably what he was apologising for but nothing in our lives would ever, ever have prepared me for for that eventuality like nothing you know it it never touched our lives before it was we were just regular people going about our regular business you know um it it wasn't something that we had ever had a conversation about at all so it was um extremely shocking and very surreal to 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 find yourself in the middle of that situation just to hear those words, I loved you, and, was, and I'm sorry. I love you, and I'm sorry. Those are yeah. final words. That's yeah. mm. that's quite uh, mm. yeah. Mm. So that brings us to where you are today. Yes. Yeah, so since then, you've decided to use that for the better. And, Absolutely. Uh, some people. Well, some I pe- try to. Try to. <laughs> yeah. Some people see things, and uh, it's hard to overcome and use it for the good. Uh, yeah. But you've managed, and now you uh, w- explain what you do now and how you try and help people. Uh, well, I mean. Uh, 
I mean, you know, when it happened to me, I heard somebody talking about me in a supermarket one day and um, they were talking about me and, and, and what had happened and wasn't it terrible and there must have been more to it and, you know, all of those awful conversations that sometimes people have. And what they didn't know was that I was standing there and they didn't even know what I looked like. They just knew it was the, the family from that house on that lane, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so they were discussing my business uh completely wrong facts and and I just thought you know this is um lots of people must go through this and and feel really alone with it and feel really um just not feel okay about it you know feel ashamed or stigmatized or that people are talking about them and and you know I think all of that's true but for me um I I couldn't stand the thought that I knew what that felt like but I didn't have the courage to talk about it and to say actually um it happened to me you know and so that's what I did and I started doing that and I started to tell people who um asked me if my you know people used to say things people say it all the time you know do the kids look like their dad you know when they were little and I'd be like yeah but unfortunately he's not here anymore and it was amazing how many people really welcomed that conversation because it had happened to them or they'd lost somebody in their family or in their community as you said before um so it started to open up lots of conversations and then I started to be asked to um speak publicly and I was invited to lots of conferences and asked if I would share my experience um publicly and uh it was a big decision and I wasn't sure it was the right decision but I knew that um I think sometimes we have a bit of a duty to to kind of just be open if it helps one person and so that's what I did and then that kind of culminated in a in really going big and um and uh making a documentary for BBC One. And so, that did really well. well yeah. 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 Or did that get four and a half million people watch that? It got, yeah, I think it's about five million. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah, million. that's a lot. So when I say I went big, yeah. We, yeah. Like, we went really big. How did, we, how did you get BBC to sign it on? <laughs> oh, no, it was, it was nothing to do with me. They they came to me. Oh, really? And, oh, um, oh. Yeah, they came to me, and, um, and I was very fortunate to be asked to present it and to talk about my uh, experience, um, and also to talk about, talk, go, go around the country talking to lots of other people about their lived experience of being bereaved in this way as well and what helped them and what didn't help them. And um, so it was really, I thoroughly enjoyed making that film because it was very authentic and it was a real genuine um, journey of discovery for me as well, you know. So I, I learned so much um, making that film as well. This podcast is sponsored by Iceberg. Iceberg is an SEO company unlike any other. Most SEO companies tie you into a six months highly priced contract, but Iceberg is different. Iceberg has no contract, has amazing customer service. You can contact them anytime, any day, and they'll be there for you. They actually get results and they don't charge a ridiculous amount. In fact, they'll be any genuine quote you get by 20%. So, if you want to increase website visibility and Google rankings to generate more inquiries, get in touch with Iceberg now. Contact them with the link in the description. Oh, that's really interesting. I'm actually creating a film about suicide prevention. Oh, are you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, how's that going? Well, I've uh, well, writing it with some uh, with someone who won a who actually created a uh, documentary for Channel Four. Okay. 
So we're writing it together. We've okay. got the script. Okay. And, what um, was the documentary for Channel 4? Oh, sorry, it wasn't a documentary. It was a short movie. It was 17 minutes called An- Inertia. Okay. So it's okay. Inertia series. I'd like to see it's that. not a documentary. Okay. It's like a short movie. I'd and they like did very well. And they, they won, I think it won quite a few awards. Yeah. Um, and yeah. now we're, cre- so we're, creating, we're creating a, uh, a, a film about suicide prevention. Okay. Um, and is there a particular... Are you looking at suicide prevention within a particular community? Yeah. Or so, you... so of course, uh, yeah. So we're looking at particularly our community. Uh, but now we're up to... So we've got the scripts. We've got... We've so when you say our community, is that the Jewish, Jewish community? Yeah, the Jewish community. Or, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I've shown it to a lot of people and they've actually... Re- I think okay. I need to show it to you. I'll show it to you afterwards and see what you think. Well, I'd love to see it. And, mm. I, and I think for me, as I, as again, as I do various different things, and obviously you know that I've done the, the, the TED Talk, and, um, and um, for me, I think that what you're doing is really important because I feel as if there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of uh, people wanting to work within particular communities, within particular religious communities, within particular, um, you know, cultural communities. And I I feel as if the more insight we can give people into what it's like to be um, feeling suicidal within a particular community and what we can do to kind of, to, to help no, I think I think suicide is more or less the same thing across the board if I can say so where you feel where you feel alone where you feel it's yeah. like there's no one you can talk to you if you've got problems and it's just all congested into one yeah so much Absolutely. so that it blocks your view and your yeah. vinegar the only way you, and you care so much about other people the only yeah. way you can help them is by mm. like by leaving yeah mm. so mm. but it's just how it takes form in other in different communities like you said and it's it a, is, so it that's is. why yeah that's why I'm very happy that but, I'm able to work with it but yeah. I think for me it's about um you know, there's an amazing book by uh, somebody that I interviewed in the BBC documentary, and his name is Professor Rory O'Connor, and he wrote the most remarkable book, and um, he talks about, you know, that sense of belonging, you know, and within any religious community, any community, that sense of belonging obviously is is very important, isn't it? I mean, within your community. I mean, with anyone really, as a community, so I think that sense of community is yeah. huge, yeah. And, and especially uh, religious community. Yeah. Absolutely, and, and I just think that, um, you know, losing that sense of belonging, if for any reason at all that you, you have a crisis of confidence, if you um, have done something that means that you're no longer of standing within that community, you know, that can really weigh extremely heavily um, on people. And and I am just absolutely delighted to hear that you're looking at that um, because um, your film is definitely something that I will watch out for because I think that um, it's people like you and f- filmmakers like you and people kind of giving that insight that, that enables us to kind of support in a in a better way, in a kind of more nuanced way that might be more um, appropriate to to a particular community, for instance, you know. And I I think it's absolutely vital that that we we start doing that from from inside the community, not just people coming in saying we think this is what you want or this is what you need and this is how you need it. I think it's really important that it comes from within the community out to people like me. Um, so that so that we can then kind of have those open conversations. Definitely, yeah. I think some people are better placed than others. Um, yeah, well, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. So uh, how how have how have a lot of people come up to you after you? I presume they have uh, after you've given all these speeches, done this BBC documentary, mm. and come up to you and told the personal story. Yeah. And then how does absolutely. that how does that weigh up on you hearing that? Because you said for um, the first nine months after your your yeah. your 
you didn't you didn't really accept it almost. It was yeah. just all all about your kids. Mm-hmm. And then, but but it's almost like that when people come to you mm-hmm. and they tell you their story. Yeah. If you don't draw the lines, mm-hmm. it will hurt. It can really affect you mm-hmm. too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I am really terrible at boundaries. <laughs> so you know where you've kind of got those boundaries where you're like, okay, so now I'm not gonna, you know, now I'm gonna take myself out of that situation or whatever. So I'm not, I'm not very good at boundaries, and I'm getting better. Um, uh, I think for me, you know, whenever somebody, you know, I've had millions of conversations where people you know the conversation has started you know I've never told anyone this but and they will often tell yeah many 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 of those conversations usually in the women's toilets I have to say you know (laughs) um but you know it's amazing how much people are carrying around and it's um I just always think it's like a huge privilege when people tell me about their experiences and um I always you know, I always welcome that because it's never an easy conversation. It's never someone's going to tell you something really difficult because they want to fill the silence. It's because they want to tell you. And again, I think if people think I'm a safe pair of hands, then, you know, I'm very proud to be seen in that way. Um, at the same token, sometimes I go on holiday and I tell people that I work in Marks and Spencers and I don't tell people that I work in the arts and I definitely don't tell people that I work in uh, suicide prevention or how to support people bereaved by suicide because sometimes um, I need a break, you know, and I and once you say you work in Marks and Spencers, no one really wants to talk to you about um, anything. That's so, a life um, hack. Life hack. Honest to God, I give anybody listening yeah. listening to this to have a holiday persona where actually you don't give the you know uh, quite often my, quite often my name is different and uh, I I work in a supermarket or I work in a in a store you know because actually sometimes I think we all need downtime you know. So you do have uh, you, you do have boundaries. I, I have them now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's taken it's taken yeah. a little it's taken a little while to get there, but um, I just didn't want to burn out, you know. I I just I I, I balance my, my my the sides of my life, so I have a whole career in the art world, and I work as a curator, and you know have the absolute joy of working with lots and lots of artists. Um, and I also get to do this very serious um, part of my life as well. So for me, the balance is really important, you know, because otherwise I, I, I couldn't do either of them if I, if, I, if I burnt out. You mentioned originally about your, your uh, uh, former husband that he was in a very vulnerable position because of... He, he's never been described as my former, former husband, husband before. <laughs> That's hilarious. What's the best say to call it? <laughs> nothing. Okay, nothing. Okay, no, <laughs> Shall I just call him his name? You can just call him his name. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the worst of it was we weren't actually married. Oh. We, ne- we never actually oh, got that okay, well. We were just together <laughs> for... We were together for... We were together... No, 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 no. That, that's okay. That's okay. I don't think yeah. he would have ever minded being referred to me um, but as my husband. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but actually, you know, yeah. again, that was another thing. You know, we were never married. And, um, and that caused real problems because when Mark died... Um, I was not his next of kin. Oh, so, so what did ha- what happened with all the? Well, luckily, I got on really yeah. well with his mum, and she allowed the coroner and all of the people oh, all, that all you the, have to oh, speak wow. to to speak mm. to me. But actually, officially, I wasn't really? his next of kin. So you know, all of these things you discover. You know, yeah. you're living yeah. your life, and and you don't think about these things. But actually, when something like this happens, you have to think about these things. So it was a very very steep learning curve. 
So you, uh, so he was in a very vulnerable position at being younger than 40, did you say it was? That, that's yeah, he was 32, so yeah. suicide is the biggest killer of men um, under 49. So under 49, yeah. yeah. So you highlighted that as a very, very big, because of course it is a very big killer. Yeah. What, what steps can we take or why are people feeling that way? I mean, it's tricky, isn't it? Because so many of us are feeling under pressure you know, a lot of us are feeling disconnected, a lot of us are feeling isolated. Certainly, you know, we've just gone through the collective trauma of of COVID um, and all of the distress and the challenges that that brought to us. Um, so we don't, we haven't actually seen the suicide rate go up during COVID. Um, so there is something about us collectively being together and trying to work together to, to get rid of COVID and, you know, coming together as communities that, that actually was a bit of a protective factor. But I think for me, it's about um, making sure that people don't feel trapped within their decision making, making sure that people know where to seek help, making sure that we go to people rather than just sitting there saying, oh, we'll come to us if you want to talk about anything, because actually sometimes that can be like the hardest thing. Um, so, I mean, think about if, if you had like a, a problem that you thought was embarrassing and you had to go and speak to a member of your community about it imagine like the shame that you might feel that you didn't really want to discuss that with somebody within your community well imagine feeling like you don't want to be here anymore and having to discuss that with somebody I mean it's the hardest conversation and I think that's why we have a responsibility to ask the question and say are you experiencing suicidal thoughts are you thinking about ending your own life because sometimes we have to invite that really difficult conversation and not just wait for people to come to us and, and tell us because it can be so difficult. You know, again, imagine having to tell someone about, about the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you and, and having to say that to a complete stranger. Can you imagine that? It's so difficult. And this is way more important than that. Do you ask that question to people in your life now? Yeah. I do, yeah. And um, I co-authored um, the Zero Suicide Alliance training, which is how to ask people if they're feeling suicidal and what to do if the answer's yes. And I think about two and a half million people have accessed that now. Um, and that's online training. That's 20-minute online training free. Um, because I think people genuinely do want to help each other, but they just don't know how to ask the question in a straightforward way. And they definitely don't they're definitely worried if someone says, actually, yeah, I am feeling suicidal because they don't necessarily know what to do with that answer. And that feels like a big responsibility, doesn't it? To to hold somebody's future in your hands, you know, can feel like really, really, really difficult and challenging. So, yeah. So if, uh, so if people were to go and ask, start, start asking others, do you, feel, do you feel suicidal? What happens if they do say yes? I think before you ask the question, you make sure you've got your signposting ready. So for me, it's things like the Hub of Hope is a, a, a prime example of an amazing free app that you can just have ready on your phone. So if somebody says to you, actually, you're right, I'm not feeling great. Thank you for noticing, actually, that I've not been feeling great, that you've got something right there that you can say to them, let's have a look at what help we can find. What is Hub of Hope? Okay. Hub of Hope is um, it's a free app yeah. and it's got 12,500 different organisations organizations on there most of which are free to access 
um, but the app itself is free and you can just have it in your pocket or you can give it to as many people as you want. Is there 12,500 people in the UK, organisations in yeah. the UK? Yeah, yeah, How's yeah. How's there 12,500 suicide prevention organisations and it's so, still, still so, like a pandemic? So lots of them are, um, lots of them are organisations that can help with lots of problems. Some of them are specific suicide prevention organisations, but lots of them are... Um, a more general charity. A more general, yeah. So yeah. they can help with things like... Um, disordered eating with addiction issues with issues around you know any of those single um issues that might actually lead to someone feeling like they don't want to be here anymore you know because this is you know lots of people if they have a diagnosis of something they might not not be able to acknowledge that or or deal with that or process that so that you know things like that can lead to people feeling suicidal um, so if you can get help for that issue early on, then maybe that could stop, you know, that could prevent people from experiencing suicidal thoughts. So it's a kind of, in some ways, it's kind of offering people an early intervention, if you like, before they may go on to experience suicidal thoughts. How do you as a friend or a family member yeah. make, not make or force them, but how do you yeah. enforce the fact that this friend is actually going to go talk to someone? Because you mentioned it is yeah. difficult. Yeah. So so have either of you ever had friends that have experienced suicidal thoughts? I mean, I, like I said, I, run, I did that. Uh, I run an organisation. One of the things we do is a mental health fund. But okay. a lot of, through that, I've seen, uh, experienced yeah. quite a lot of uh, different... Um, and how, how do you deal with it? Because you're like you know you're the guys we want to do the work you know <laughs> you're the exact right people to be having this conversation yeah. you know I think that as a as an 18 year old you know I think if somebody of your age or in your friendship group or, or within you know your neighborhood or whatever you know if I mean how would you deal with that if somebody came to you if you noticed that somebody maybe kind of was behaving differently or was very I don't know withdrawn or or was actually you know sometimes suicidal people look like the best people at the party kind of thing because they're desperately trying to overcompensate for feeling so terrible um if you notice that I mean how how would you guys deal with that what what would you would you feel comfortable asking somebody or not What's it? And I probably wouldn't even notice I'm very bad at these things really okay yeah, um, so first of all we need to get you better at these <laughs> yeah I'm I've never been good at that I don't know yeah yeah but you must be caring enough to like you're caring enough to invite me to do this podcast today so you're obviously really interested in that you know you didn't kind of just think we're really bored and it's a uh, rainy Wednesday afternoon who should we invite onto this podcast oh yeah let's just you know I think it's good to talk about and and raise awareness for it but I just personally wouldn't but I, I don't I'm not very good at emotions so okay I'd, yeah it's probably it's bad for me I should probably learn better but well yeah I don't know. I, I, you know, I just think that like lots of us are really bad at emotions. I'm not sure I'm really good at them, to be, to be honest. Um, but I think it's about educating ourselves. You know, it's yeah. about really wanting to be that person that somebody can speak openly and honestly to. Yeah. And I think that actually we can all be a bit better at that. You know, it's, it's definitely not just you. I know I'm looking at you right now <laughs> as we're having this conversation, but it's definitely not just you. It's yeah. um, And, you know, there are some 18-year-olds out there that would definitely much rather speak to you than they would speak to me. Um, so I think it's important that we just make sure that there are those opportunities around, you know. 
I mean, you mentioned why we invited you on. I mean, it's. Yeah. I think it's important for me, even though I'm not great at it, to still yeah. learn about it and oh, to still absolutely. talk about it. So, absolutely. and for the thousands of people out there that are listening. Yeah, absolutely. So, but yeah. I think it. I think it is that, and I think even um, just being curious about that, I think is 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 the start of um, anybody feeling a bit more confident about asking that question. You know, are you feeling suicidal? Are you thinking about ending your own life? Um, because I think that it feels absolutely incredible when you have that conversation with someone and somebody confides in you and says, actually, you're right, I'm not, I've not been feeling great. You know, to help somebody to get the help and support that they need for whatever it is that's making them feel like that or or creating that despondency or that those suicidal thoughts and feelings, it's it's the most amazing feeling when you have actually helped somebody and then somebody comes back to you a little bit later and says actually this is what happened and I went off and got married or I went off and had children or I went on the holiday of a lifetime or I got the job that I wanted or you know that they just don't feel like that anymore that they feel okay Mm -hmm. it's so incredibly fulfilling and and a real just so lovely when you know that you've put the right phone number in someone's hand, um, that you've actually helped them to to not feel that level of distress anymore. It's 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 just incredible. Would well, you say that feeling's almost addicting? I wouldn't say it's addictive. I'd, I'd say that it gives you more confidence to ask the question next time and to really know and and to think actually. Um, I want to be open and honest about how I feel because that might be the gateway to somebody telling me how they feel. You know, if I can be honest about mine. Yeah, that's how I see you open first, some people open back Absolutely. to you. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we also know that those people bereaved by suicide are in a high-risk group as well um, of suicide themselves. So um, so it's important that we support people who are bereaved as well. So when we look at, I mean, we keep mentioning this, I'm 49, but when you are a lot of men, when a lot of men, 49 and younger, so you asked you, why is there, or how do we stop? And you said one of the biggest things that we have, start that conversation and we have it, um, make it, make it that safe to talk Mm. to people, that we reach out to people, which is a really important thing. But Mm. why, why is it that people, so many people are like, I I don't, the number hasn't gone down, it's only gone up, has it? No, it's not. It's not gone up. It's not. Um, it gone down? So we we've got about six. We've at the moment, and again, it, you know, whenever I talk about numbers, we've we've got to remember that every single one of these figures is 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 a is a life lost and a and a, a family impacted by this. And you know, but in the UK at the moment, we've got around six thousand people each year ending their own lives. Six thousand. Uh, globally, we've got about um, seven hundred thousand people each year. We can't even imagine that lives. many people. Well, yeah, and the amount of people know, impacted. Exactly, yeah. and so, and for each one of those people who um, end their own lives, there's probably, you know, again, just think about it within your community. If one one person ended their life, you you know there's just hundreds of people who were impacted you know and who knew that person who was aware of that person even you know so it might not be the very very closest people but people will still be impacted throughout a whole community um my um family is greek um greek cypriot and when somebody dies within our community you know hundreds of people know about it because we we are a tight community and so thinking about the number of people who are bereaved by suicide and then knowing that being bereaved by suicide then puts you at elevated risk yourself you know you can see why it's important that we that we have these conversations 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great way to end. Perfect. Really, thank thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, um, again, I, I just think I'm so happy that you are having this conversation within and thinking about how um, how we can work in a, you know, to prevent suicides within the Jewish community as well. Because I don't really... Do, is there... Are you, is suicide openly talked about within the Jewish community? I mean, I think in different sectors there is, at least. Uh, I mean, a lot of people I go to, uh, uh, younger people, and of course different places, there are different amounts, but I think a lot of people, younger people are really much more open nowadays okay. in a really good way. Okay. Uh, that's never never been before. I'm, at least young, younger people are feeling that it's much more okay to talk about it. Yeah. And, and uh, they, it's, they can look for a safe space to talk about, and it's, 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 on, a, it's on a very good trajectory. And have you had any resistance to the fact that you want to make a film about this? Like within I, I, within I, your community? I mean, are there senior people within your community, more senior people within your I, community? I haven't met anyone yet because, of course, it's such a great film. I think, <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> uh, but, I'll tell you, but I created a anti-bullying film and okay. I released an anti-bullying ah, film a okay. year ago. Okay. Uh, so it does give me some credibility to that. Yeah. Uh, but when I created that film, I did have like one or two... Uh, yeah. uh, but and yeah. it turned out amazing, and I helped uh, yeah. reach uh, a lot of people yeah. with that anti-bullying film. So, okay. it's but I'm, I'm sure there would be, but I don't. I think yeah, mm. I think that's in different areas. Yeah, yeah. Though yeah. there's always people like that. Because is 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 suicide itself against your religious beliefs? Because I know I think suicide is, yeah. is against everyone's beliefs. <laughs> um, well. Yeah, but it's it's kind of within like within Catholicism, for instance, or it's kind of again the language that we use around suicide. It's things like um, committed suicide. So we try to avoid that now because yeah. of the religious them look like a crime. Yeah. Well, it, because it's not a crime, and and lots yeah. of religions believe now that it's no longer a sin. Yeah, and. Um, so again, I think that's kind of part of breaking the stigma around suicide and talking openly is the fact that you believe that you're not committing a sin. Because I know in some other religions, even thinking about suicide and considering suicide and feeling suicidal, actually acknowledging those feelings is actually um, not tolerated within particular religious doctrines so, and belief systems. So I just wondered... I think in most religions, like yeah, you're you're really challenging a stigma, you know. Yeah, I think in a lot of religious communities, there's definitely mm. a feeling of that, okay. and as uh, people, especially now nowadays, people realise and actually learn what suicide actually means. Yeah. And suicide isn't. People don't have much of a choice when it's not as if they decided I want to yeah, kill myself. They were pushed into a place. It's not a decision. Yeah. And when you realise that, you start to realise, yeah. okay, I, killing yourself isn't a choice, and it's not. You can't yeah. really blame it on that person. Yeah. So I think it's not really. I think it's most just. As we go along, most yeah. communities, religious communities or different communities, are t- starting to shift. So whether it's okay. Jewish, whether it's Catholic, whoever it is, okay. I think every, every, everyone's really changing, mm. and there'll mm. always be some people that are still learning. Absolutely, but. absolutely. But I just so welcome your your film, and Thank you. I think for me, you know, I was totally amazed at how much fifty eight minutes of television can can really resonate with people. I was totally humbled by that. Um, the TED talk was 15 minutes and mm. so many people have, have messaged and, and just kind of said thank you for talking about our experience you know, thank you for representing that um, so I can't wait to see your film and I am so 
delighted. I know you're meant to be interviewing me and now I'm kind of <laughs> inter- interviewing you guys. But um, I'm so delighted to hear that you're making it and I can't wait to, to watch it and I'm sure it's going to be brilliant. No pressure. No pressure, <laughs> no so pressure Ali. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.